It's so good to be together. Um, you know, the church, a church that prays together, sweats together, will stay together. Um, and I'm excited about this sermon series continuing. We've been in the series t- titled and focused on the person and power of the Holy Spirit. And if you have not been with us and heard previous sermons, I encourage you to go to the website so you can have context as to where we've been and where we're heading. And today marks kind of a shift in the series until the end of the series, which will end on Pentecost Sunday, um, where we will begin to focus on the outward work of the Holy Spirit. We spent some time looking at the inner work of the Holy Spirit. And so if you didn't get to hear those sermons, I encourage you to do so. But today we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 to 11, and we're going to talk about what is known as the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 and onward says this, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes to each one just as He determines. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank You for this opportunity as we just stand before this rich portion of Scripture that You have breathed and inspired for our growth, edification. We pray that You would open our hearts to understand Your Word, Your mind, Holy Spirit, as we look at the gifts, the very gifts that you desire to give to your church to empower us to live for Jesus and to glorify Him, we pray that you would make the Word of God alive and and reveal it to us, open our hearts, glorify Jesus as only you can. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, what if I told you that in the very New Testament, that there was a community of people that not only had, were so divisive, and these were Christians, mind you, they were so divisive against each other that at times they would break out into fights, but they would break out into fights not over sports or over politics or over what neighborhood they were from, like I'm from Brooklyn, you're from the Bronx. No, they would break, over, break out in fights during communion, as people were celebrating the Lord's table. What if I also told you there's a community where actually they were so sexually broken 
that there was a situation where, where a man actually slept with his mother-in-law, and this all happened in the church. And that very community that I'm talking about is the Corinthians, and so much more. When you read about this church, honestly, no telenovela, no Korean drama can match the madness that happened in this community. They were incredibly broken, but what we understand is they were also incredibly gifted and loved. Because when we look at what happened with the Corinthians, as Paul addresses them, you need to imagine a community where the Holy Spirit was doing powerful things, healings and prophecy and miracles and all the gifts we read, but also a community that was marked by incredible immaturity. That's an important thing to wrestle with because sometimes we can confuse that if someone is anointed or gifted by the Spirit, that that equates maturity. And so the danger can be is that we can easily come to believe if someone prayed for you and it was so from the Spirit and it touched your heart and, man, God used them, that we can easily elevate that person or elevate that church and say, God is really there, he's co-signing everything, and, and nothing, nothing should ever change about that community. Actually, the opposite is quite true, that we could still be very immature, we could still need a lot of growth, and God's Spirit could be powerfully at work. Why is that the case? Because in Jesus we discover that our identity as followers of Jesus is not pegged to spiritual gifts or to how comfortable we are with the working of the Spirit. You're not loved more. In other words, if you see someone that God is using powerfully in the gifts, that is not an indication that God loves that person more or that that person is closer to Jesus than you are. Why is that the case? Because when we look at the Corinthians, it's a fascinating thing that we discover where despite their brokenness, and I just named a few very significant things, like we have a very imperfect church, but thanks be to God, some of these things we talked about in Corinth are not happening here. Praise the Lord. That would give me a very big pastoral headache. Like, oh man, how was your week, Pastor Chris? Not great, not great. Uh, if we were having to deal with some of these things, but despite our brokenness, despite their brokenness, I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2 and onward says about these people. Look at what it says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be His holy people, together with all, all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Despite their brokenness, they're still called saints. Despite their brokenness and their immaturity, they're still called brothers and sisters because their identity, our identity, is affirmed by grace. It's not earned through works. And the reality is when we look at Scripture, God is always in the business of anointing and using broken people. And so if today you find yourself feeling extra broken or you're struggling, or you feel like, man, God could never use me, know that you are in the company of a myriad of people throughout history. You are exactly who God always uses, 
always wants to glorify himself through because you and I would fully know, clearly know, that what he's doing through me is not because of me. It's not because of you. It's clearly his grace. With that being said, what we discover when we read the New Testament is that it's not just the Corinthian church. They were not an anomaly. They were not an outlier. Actually, what we discover is that the people of God have always been gifted by the Spirit of God. That the community of God's people, that it has been God's intention, His design, His will, that He would gift His people with extraordinary gifts from His Spirit, and that the community that follows Jesus, that has been transferred from darkness to light, death to life, that one of the things that would mark that community, mark a church like ours, would be that the Holy Spirit would do supernatural things in that community, that He would be free and that He would be able to work and that His power and presence would be known and would be felt and would become a part of the fabric of that community. The Holy Spirit is always in the business, if we look at Scripture, to give gifts to the people of God. If you're wondering what the Holy Spirit wants to do to you, wants to do to us as a community, what Scripture tells us is that He wants to give gifts, to impart those gifts, to make those gifts accessible to us so that we could glorify Jesus. I, recently, I heard a story. It was, it was an uplifting story by the time it ended, but during it, especially in the middle, it was heart-wrenching. It's about this woman who one day, she wakes up after being married for 20 years, she had, I believe, four kids, her husband just leaves. And overnight, she's left with, how am I gonna pay for our bills? She was a stay-at-home mom. Her whole, she depended, like her whole life was structured on her marriage working. And now she wakes up and her and her kids don't know where they're gonna get their next meals, don't know how they're gonna keep the lights on, through a process of events, they had to sell that house, leave it, but he owned it, and so they didn't get any money. It was just a heart-wrenching, like, I couldn't take more. As I kept hearing, I was like, this is getting worse and worse. But then she describes a season of her rebuilding her life, and they got a home. Now the kids had a roof over their head. They're slowly, but she's going back to work, but for the space of two years, they had no furniture, no couch, no bed, no dinner table. And I want you to imagine, I know some of us, because we live in New York, our apartments are so small that we forego not having certain furniture, or we have a, a little thing that we allow ourselves to call it a table, you know, or, or we, we have this makeshift thing that it's you know, oh, that's a bed couch, you know, that's a bouch, you know, whatever. And we, we get creative here, I get it. And when you're moving, sometimes you have to go a couple of days or, or a week or so without furniture. Imagine two years where you're sitting on the floor where, where the, to eat. That's your dinner table. Or bedtime is on a bunch of quilts. It's not functional. We're, that's not how we're accustomed to living. And when I think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, 
In many ways, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are like the furniture that God provides to His people in His house that allow us to function as a community. It's what brings us together. It binds us. It empowers us. It's part of our life. It's supposed to be. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are supposed to be a natural outflow of our life. Like we're talking about them as this heightened supernatural thing in large part because so much of the normalcy of this has been lost. So much of church over the last 20, 30 years has been built on programs, has been built on lighting and, and, and smoke even and all this fancy stuff and, and making people feel as comfortable as possible. Nothing wrong in and of itself with any of that. However, when all of that is what you encounter predominantly and there is no room, expression, or leaning toward what the Holy Spirit alone can do, it gets dangerously close to feeling like a social club rather than it actually being a community that's built on the supernatural power and presence of God. For us as a church, and this doesn't make us exceptional, we're not the only ones. There's actually churches just like us all over the world. And we would argue that that's actually the closest, what we see in Scripture, churches just like us that are intentionally saying the Holy Spirit is part of our furniture, His gifts, it's part of our life. And as so, we are not going to put the furniture in the back room. We're not going to put it in the attic somewhere. We're not going to say it exists, we believe it, but you never get to interact with it. No, we're going to seek through the scriptures and through pastoring and walking together how it looks like for these things to become a normal part of our everyday life. And that it, it, the ways that the Holy Spirit wants to empower us through His gifts. And so, just so you know, for any of you that are new to our church, you may be hearing this for the first time, but this is not new for us. We've always sought to be this kind of a community. For those of you that have been here for a while and you thought, man, have we veered from that? No, we have always been that. We've just been trying to figure out what that looks like during this incredibly turbulent season of life. But now that we're back together in person, this needs to be part of our furniture. The expectation, the reality, the openness, the intentionality of the Holy Spirit's power and presence being a vibrant focal point of our life together. And so toward that end, what do these gifts say about the Holy Spirit? What do these gifts speak about the Holy Spirit in terms of His character, His intention. What does He intend for us through these gifts? Actually, what it says in verse 7 and then verse 3, some very interesting things come to the surface. Verse 7, it says, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Can you say that phrase with me? Common good. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are intended for the whole community of God's people to benefit. It's for everyone to benefit from. It's for our collective common good. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not intended to create a weird hierarchy in a church and say, this person's anointed, this person has this gift, this person doesn't. 
That's not what it's, it's intended for everyone to benefit. And so if you ever see the gifts of the Holy Spirit or someone using the gifts of the Holy Spirit to kind of create like a weird hierarchy and push them up against others, that's a misuse of the gifts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not intended to make some better, more anointed, more visible. It's intended for all of us to benefit. And one other thing that it says in verse 3 that's really important, Paul says, therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That phrase at, at first glance might be somewhat confusing, but when we dial into the context, what we discover, the, the previous verse, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. What's the significance of that leading into verse 3? These followers of Jesus in the city of Corinth their background before they became followers of Jesus was they were given over to paganism. And paganism, though it sounds like this very ancient thing that no longer exists, actually it's fully alive in 2022 in New York City. It's all over the place. Paganism has all these expressions of spirituality that aim people to worship things and spirits and inanimate objects and ancient, like esoteric, unknowable things that people put their faith in, all sorts of ways. It's practiced right before us. Our society has normalized it. But in that context, that was the predominant thing. That was the only show in town. And then these people come out of that to serve Jesus, and all of a sudden, they encounter the Holy Spirit. And now, there's a bit of processing for them to do. They've been spiritual their whole life. For these people, signs and wonders and miracles, nothing new. They've been seeing uh, witch doctors and people in the community that had the, the special enlightened powers. That was normal for them. But now they're in this new community, this new context, and all of a sudden they're encountering these powerful things. And Paul is helping them to distinguish the difference. He says, no spirit that is of God, any, in other words, anything spiritual that's happening, it will never curse Jesus. In other words, it will never defy Jesus. It will never come against Jesus. If it is from the Spirit of God, it will never come against Jesus and it will always declare that Jesus is Lord. That's a powerful compass that you and I have been given. If you ever have difficulty discerning, is this from God? Is this, this person prayed for me or this thing happened or, or, or this spiritual dynamic just kind of came and I don't know, is this from God? We're given this powerful compass that helps us to navigate that and that is, does this defy Jesus? Or does this glorify Jesus? If it doesn't glorify Jesus, if it comes against Jesus, then your antennas should be up. You should say, man, that might be spiritual, but that's not Holy Spirit work. Big difference. We don't deny the reality of the spiritual realm. It is real. 
There are so many things happening spiritually all over us. But what we assert is that the greater reality is governed and ruled by the Holy Spirit and that He is powerfully at work. And so again, we've talked about this before, but notice, before we dive into the specifics of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, notice again, the Holy Spirit's intention is always to glorify Jesus. His gifts are always intended to draw attention to Him, not even to Himself. He's always deferential in that way, glorifying Jesus and always wanting to empower us to glorify Jesus. But all of this comes under the intention of Paul. The first verse, he says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. He wanted them to know. He wanted them to be rooted and grounded. He wanted them to have clarity. He didn't want them to have confusion. He didn't want them to be ignorant. And the same motivation is what's driving us during this season of life as a church to make sure that as a community we are not uninformed, that we have biblical grounding, that we know the person and power of the Holy Spirit, that everything He wants to give us from inner conviction to the fruit of the Spirit to bearing witness to our spirit that we are children of God to these outward powerful manifestations of His power, we need all of it and we want all of it. I have a friend that he is obsessed with credit card points. You know any of those folks? Uh, I mean, he's constantly telling me, oh, Chris, you should get this card, you should get this card, play this point game. And, and, and truthfully, he's working the system. Um, he's gotten these crazy deals, whatever. But this attitude that comes from him is like, I'm leaving no points on the table. That's kind of his spirit, you know? No points. If they're giving me something, I'm going to get it. I think we should have a similar attitude when it comes to the Holy Spirit. You want to give us these gifts? We're not going to leave this on the table. You want to do this inner work in us? We're not going to leave that on the table. Anything you want us to do, we want it. And so in order to not be uninformed, Paul begins to teach about these gifts. In the short amount of time I have left, I'm going to do my best to give you the best possible summary I can give you about nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's a tall order. We could be in a class for hours and, and still may not suffice because each gift is such rich history in the Scriptures that give context and color. I will say this. When you read different commentaries, when you wrestle with the original language, when you study church history, when you take all of it together, there isn't full agreement on some of these definitions. And so I'm going to put that on the table so that if you hear me sounding like really firm or like rigid, that's actually not my posture at all. If you, have you ever seen a, a Jackson Pollock painting? Like, it's a crazy, like, it's just paint splattered all over, and it's just like $3 billion. You know, like, it's, a, it's an amazing phenomenon. But in all that variety, notice one thing. It's on a canvas. There are some borders. There are some frames. 
these gifts of the Spirit, they give us a framing. They give us a border to kind of understand all this immense, varied ways that the Holy Spirit is at work. And so, despite the fact that there isn't like full, firm clarity, and I think that's intentional from God, not because we haven't studied it, not because we don't have stuff to draw from, it, I think in many ways what it makes us to do is forces us to not try to put God in some box that we control. And it's very convicting for me to realize that I would very much like God to be in a box. I would very much like to know this is what you're going to do. You're never going to deviate from this, right? Like I, I could go to sleep tonight and wake up tomorrow. I don't even have to check in with you because I just know you're going to do this, right? But if you realize if that's our posture, then we actually don't have a living faith. We just have an ideology. We're not following a living God. And so with that said, let's unpack these nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this, to one is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. So there's nine gifts there. Some scholars referencing other passages in the New Testament say there's about 22 gifts of the Holy Spirit if you take all of it together. But in these verses, these nine gifts kind of exist as a body, as, a, as an entity unto itself, like a defined kind of category. If we take these gifts and break them up into three categories, one could argue that there are speaking gifts, there's knowledge gifts, and there's power gifts. Speaking gifts are essentially gifts that are only understood, experienced, accessed through the act of one person speaking, verbally communicating that to another. Um, and that's prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. Knowledge gifts. Not, there's the word of wisdom, knowledge, and then there's discerning of spirits. And then there's power gifts, faith, healing, miracles. Let's go through these quickly. When it says the gift of prophecy here, when you read 1 Corinthians 14, you discover that the gift of prophecy that it's talking here, it's not something that puts an utterance on the same scale as Scripture. Even though it's inspired and the Holy Spirit is, is feeding that gift, its inspiration is not on the same level of Scripture. When you use the gift of prophecy, Here's the good news and here's the, the troubling news. You can be wrong. You can actually be off. The people in the, in, that wrote the Scriptures through the Spirit, they had the Holy Spirit at work in them in a way that's not the same that we have when we are empowered to use the gift of prophecy. There's a, there's a part in, in, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul says, we know in part and we prophesy in part. And so, whenever you are prophesying, whenever you are giving a word from God, one of the scariest things you could ever say is, God told me. Because, hey, buddy, he did not. Because you can't say that with authoritative declaration because Scripture, what you're, what you're saying is not on the same level of Scripture. 
Because what you're saying actually could be judged by Scripture. Someone could say, that doesn't line up with Scripture. That wasn't actually a prophetic word. Prophecy is never meant for direction. It's never meant to tell people what they should do. It's never meant to elevate the person giving the prophecy. And so if you ever get a prophetic word and someone says, I believe you're supposed to move to another city, you could say, I believe you should move to another city right now before this gets dangerous. Now I'm joking. You, you, could, you, you could dismiss that. That's directive. God has reserved that kind of direction from him to you. He doesn't trust anybody with that mail. He says, I'm going to deliver this to you. I'm going to let you know. And then maybe after I let you know, I could use somebody to confirm that. But the first inclination of what God wants to say to you is from him to you. So prophecy is for comfort, edification, encouragement. It's not for di direction. It never trumps Scripture. It's always under the authority of Scripture. It's always to be judged and interpreted by Scripture. It can never contradict the character and person of God as we know Him in Scripture. Tongues. Now this, many argue, and I believe this argument, it, it, it seems sound to me in Scripture, that there's two kinds of tongues that we see in the New Testament. One is a tongues that's more like a private personal prayer language, that the Holy Spirit gives you this gift and that you can pray to Jesus with this gift, and it, it almost surpasses your mind, your intellect. It's a prayer that doesn't involve your intellect or your mind, so to speak. It's a groaning that's coming. That's private. That's between you and God. But the tongues that it's talking about here is for a corporate setting. And that would be the gift of tongues that someone, if given that gift, would get up in the, in the community and share that gift and begin to speak in another tongue. And what should follow after that is someone who has the gift to interpret should come up after. And in that situation, the whole church is edified. I remember my brother, he's a pastor as well, he told me a funny story. Um, I found it funny, uh, just because I've been in church for a while, so if I don't find things funny, it's going to be bad real fast. And so, so they were in a worship setting and someone got up and they, and it was, they started speaking in tongues really loud. Have you ever been in a kind of setting like that? Isn't it fun and jarring? And so, um, so the whole community was like, whoa. And they got quiet, and nobody gave the interpretation. And so he, he lovingly told this person and said, hey, I don't think you actually had the gift of tongues at that moment. And he said, why? He said, because clearly nobody had the interpretation. Did you have the interpretation? No. He said, so, in the future, if you're ever feeling so inclined, you should check with us before you disrupt the whole service and make us pause and stop not knowing if there's an interpretation. It, another thing to understand, translating the way these gifts are talked about for a service like ours takes some work. Because churches that this was being written to were typically no more than 75 people and that was a large church. Most of them were 30, 40 people in a living room. So over time, this is what happens in a community. Over time, 
as we get to know each other, you begin to sense, say, hey, that Donald guy, he, he seems to really have a sensitivity to the gift of healing. Like, it, though the Holy Spirit offers it all to us, that one, it seems like when he digs into the toolkit, that's the one he pulls out a lot. So he has a lot of confidence and a lot of comfort. But whereas Bayork, no, she's very sensitive to the gift of prophecy. And because over time, so when you get to know that in a community like that, if you're going to give a tongue, you say, hey, where's John? Because that guy has the, he normally has the gift to interpret the tongue. And so it, that could all be leveled and balanced. In a setting like this, very difficult to do. Because some of us don't know each other. Some of us outside of Sunday, we haven't cultivated deeper community. We haven't attended small groups together. We haven't prayed together outside of these settings. So how do you know who has what gift or not? You know how you can find out who has some of those gifts? Receiving prayer at the end of the service. There's some folks that at this point, people have told me, said, man, I, was, I, I felt sick in my body. And so where was that JP guy? Because right? he prayed for me last time. And I know like it, God uses him. So in community, you find these things out, it's, which I think is one of the greatest arguments for us to realize that if you want all that the Holy Spirit has to offer, you don't receive it in your prayer closet alone. It only comes through community. And so if you want a, 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 a motivation to deal with the mess and the difficulty that often comes with community, it's that I go through the mess because at the end of it, I get all that the Holy Spirit wants to offer. There is no shortcut. This is a communal experience. So that's prophecy, tongues, interpretation, the gift of knowledge. Now, I think commentators have given some good nuance on this and that for both this and wisdom, that those gifts in many ways that the Holy Spirit is helping the believer apply the knowledge of the Word of God to their life. It's giving them insight into the Scriptures. It's making them wise through the Scriptures. And so that gives another angle where the Holy Spirit isn't just interested in giving gifts that you have to be in the same room to access them. Actually, this is everyday life. When you're, when you're shopping, when you're paying bills, when you're in your community, the Holy Spirit can give you knowledge, can give you wisdom. But also theologians, commentators talk about that the gift of knowledge, the way that it's been defined classically, is a moment where the Holy Spirit gives someone insight into a situation in your life that outside of him giving them that insight, they would no way know anything of that. So there's no way they could know, and they're praying for you, they're speaking as if they knew all of it, because the Holy Spirit gave them knowledge about something past or present. Wisdom has been traditionally framed as something that's more future-oriented, something that's to come. Jesus actually said the Holy Spirit will tell you of things to come. And in the life and ministry of Jesus, we see expressions of both, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. Discerning of spirits is also twofold, based on a lot of commentaries, a lot of scholarly work, that there is a sense of discerning of spirits is when you have this Holy Spirit's empowerment to discern what spirit or what possible motive somebody might be coming from. Whereas you're 
in relationship and interacting with folks, just like, man, I just sense a loving spirit from them. I sense, like that person has no guile in them. And you don't know that outside of the Holy Spirit giving you that peace or the opposite. So, mm, I don't know, the smile looks right, the attitude looks right, but something says there might be something there. There's just something off. But there's also another layer where the Holy Spirit can help us discern where there might be demonic spirits at work impacting, influencing someone's life. The Holy Spirit helps us to discern faith, healing, miracles. The gift of faith here, it's very, this is a very important distinction. This gift is not the same as saving faith. What do I mean by that? In order to be a follower of Jesus, each of us needs saving faith. That means that you have put your trust in the finished work of Jesus for your salvation and your salvation alone. And that is something that is very distinct from this kind of faith, where this is a, a faith that is, you, you are empowered to believe that God will do something that it's not necessarily spelled out in Scripture, but you just know it's consistent with His character. It almost feels like an assumption, like you're making an assumption, but it's you're empowered to make that assumption. And so, like, let's say there's bills that need to be paid. You know that God's character is to be your provider, and nothing tells you that you should be calm. Nothing tells you that this is going to work out in the natural, but you just feel like, I believe it's going to come through. I believe, and then all of a sudden it does. It, where, where it's just like, nowhere in Scripture did it tell me that that was going to be paid for in that way, and this was going to happen, but... but it's consistent with God's character, but I was empowered by the Spirit to believe that that could happen. Whereas miracles and healing, additionally, they are an empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do things that are not necessarily tethered to a specific promise of Scripture, but it's consistent with God's character. And so, in other words, God is a healer, but it doesn't mean that everyone will be healed. Because at the end of the day, healed or not healed, we all will one day pass. God is, has something bigger on his mind than just healing our physical bodies. There's a bigger work that he's doing. However, the gift of healing when it takes place, when it manifests, people can experience healing that is very supernatural, that it's not average, it's not normal, and even the way it takes place. And similar to miracles, these are supernatural things that the Holy Spirit does that's above and beyond the norm. And so as I land this plane, let me give you some quick stories that kind of tie this in. So I become a Christian at the age of 14. I walk into a church setting similar to this. Folks were raising their hands, worshiping. I had a distinct feeling. I didn't have the language then, but I know now what I was feeling. I was like, these people are enjoying God. They just don't believe in God. They're encountering Him. 
There's something here. At a certain point, someone got up and began to speak in tongues. And I looked at my friend. I was like, whoa, buddy, what's this? What's going on? And then all of a sudden, got quiet, and someone got up and began to interpret that tongue. I'll never forget, I felt like it was just for me. Everything that it, I was like, I felt so seen by God at that moment where I was just like, oh my gosh. I turned to him, I was like, dude, what was that? And he began to explain it to me and give me context and show me scripture. So that was a, my, one of my first experiences with tongues, interpretation of tongues. And in some ways, the interpretation felt like a prophecy because it felt very comforting, very edifying, very encouraging. But then I'll never forget a word of knowledge experience. So I become a Christian, I'm 14 years old. I had a very dumb thought. And you know a thought is dumb when you don't want to share it openly because you just kind of keep it to yourself. It's like, this might be dangerous if people know I'm actually thinking this. This was my dumb thought. My thought was, God could use anybody, whether it's intelligent or unintelligent, whether studied or non-studied. So therefore, I'm not going to waste my time and actually push myself academically. So my first semester of math, I read the Bible the whole time. And man, I studied the New Testament. It was glorious. I just knew the words of Jesus. And then I got a 55. And did that deter me? No, because I was going to be God's anointed stupid person. You know, he was going to use me. He was going to show the world. Look at this person. He didn't study a lick, but I'm using him. Nobody knew this because, again, I kind of knew it was a bad idea, but I was just rocking with it. And I was in a church service, and there was this minister. His name is Lenny Weston. And he began to pray for folks at the end of the service. And he came and prayed for me. And I'll never forget it, like yesterday. It was so powerful that moment. He said, God is impressing on my heart. I believe he's telling me to tell you that he doesn't want you to slack in your studies. I was like, who, who told, you know, like, but nobody knew. Nobody knew. I was like, so I was like, oh my gosh. And then he said, because there's people he wants to use you to reach in your future that you'd never be able to reach them if you don't get serious about your studies. And so in some ways, that was both a word of knowledge. He had knowledge about something present that nobody else knew. And there was also kind of a sense of a word of wisdom, my future. Because I can tell you, that second part has come to pass. On any given Sunday, I'm probably the dumbest person in this room. I'll be honest. Most of y'all have gone to incredible, you know, institutions of learning, have more degrees than Fahrenheit. You're really smart people. However, God is using me in these settings and other settings because I heeded that moment. I became serious about studying. I became a voracious reader since then. Some years reading up to 60 books a year because I just, I knew I had to prepare myself for a future to be able to share the gospel. So when I was 14 to like 18, my whole high school, I was in it because of that moment. I could tell you story after story, one other story, and then I'll, we'll land the plane. Um, when I was a kid, every single year, I was hospitalized at least for a week for asthma. And it was a sucky experience, like I expected it. I knew it was going to happen. And my asthma wasn't triggered by running or anything. 
it was always triggered when the weather shifted and all of a sudden if I got like a cold or a cough, it progressed and I knew it's going to happen, it's going to happen and eventually I'd get hospitalized. I hated it. Absolutely hated that experience. Hated putting the mask and, and just having to take all the, oh, just hated it. Become a Christian and my friend Peter Carrion, who led me to Christ, says, hey, Chris, when we were worshiping earlier, I felt as if God wanted to heal you, touch your lungs. I was like, oh, wow. Well, I, I get asthma every year. He said, can I pray for you for that? I said, sure. And I'll, I'll never forget, he laid his hands on my head. And so, because I, I was young, so at that point, I was like, where are your hands at? You know, <laughs> I'm sure you're not checking my pockets, you know. Um, so I'm like, all right, where are his hands at? And then all of a sudden, as he prayed, I felt like two hands go in my chest and almost like scoop my lungs. And I felt like the walls of my lungs. And since that, and, and when I felt that, I immediately opened my eyes. I'm like, where his hands are at? And he was just still right there, one hand behind his back. And so I was like, what is happening? From that moment on, I've never had asthma, never been hospitalized. It was an absolute gift of healing kind of miracle. These are my stories. In this church, there are so many similar stories like that. Even now, I was talking with one of our members in between services, powerful stuff, healings, incredible things that are happening, that it's all the Holy Spirit's doing. And He's doing it all for one intention, because He wants to empower us to glorify Jesus. He wants us to be anointed witnesses to the reality of Jesus' lordship. The world doesn't just need well thought out, pre presented, logical arguments for the reality of God. They need supernatural evidence. And this is one aspect of it. Supernatural evidence, first and foremost, comes through Christian character being formed in us, us loving our enemies, suffering with grace and joy. That speaks to the world, but also these powerful gifts of the Holy Spirit that let the world know that there's more than what meets the eye, that God is real, that He's a reality, and what they might look like to serve and follow Him. With that, I want to invite us to stand. And as the worship team comes forward, as we prepare to end our service and transition into our worship and prayer time, I want to encourage you, if over these next few moments, if you have any prayer request, any need of prayer, maybe you came in today dealing with certain situations that they're just heavy. You, can't, you shouldn't carry them yourself. I would encourage you during these next few moments, slip out of your seat and go to the back and receive prayer. The prayer team would love to pray for you. But also any of the words that were shared earlier, if any of those resonated with you, go and receive prayer over these next few moments. Could I invite us? Could we raise our hands in the presence of God? And over these next few moments, could we begin to ask the Lord, speak to him from, our, like, from your heart to his? Ask him to help you to not be uninformed about all that the Holy Spirit wants to do. Ask him to help you to leave no gift on the table, to receive all that's being offered, to welcome, to let this become normal for us. It's 
part of the furniture. Holy Spirit, you want to glorify Jesus in and through us. Would you teach us how to flow in that, how to receive all that you want us to receive? Come and glorify Jesus. Move in our midst. Thank you, Jesus. As we worship, let's intentionally listen to the Lord. Perhaps the Holy Spirit will impress a verse of scripture or a word in your heart or an image or just a sense. Listen to his voice. He might even burden you for someone in this room. Say, hey, maybe you should go up to that person and ask them, ask their permission if you could pray for them. Or maybe someone who's not here. Maybe someone comes to mind, a, a friend, a coworker. Begin to pray, listen to what the Holy Spirit might say. Let's lean in, let's press in in these next few moments.